You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading the show. Today I thought I would talk a little about health issues and health conspiracies and these kinds of things. I've always been interested in this topic, and I think a lot of you have too. Um, originally, it was stuff like you know certain vaccines and, and all the things that they can cause, and aspartame and fluoride and genetically modified food and all these reasons to eat healthy and all the diseases that are caused by not eating healthy. And I think that's all important and a cause of a whole bunch of stuff. But I think that there's another thing that doesn't get a lot of attention, which I am now even more than ever convinced is one of the primary reasons for not just stuff like obesity and and diabetes, but right down to cancer and a host of neurological ailments, probably most of the modern plagues, the new plagues of neurological ailments, including things like uh, schizophrenia, Tourette's syndrome, um, uh, just things like depression, migraines, neurological stuff like um, ADHD when it's a real thing as opposed to just sort of misdiagnosed and a whole lot of other issues uh, that we're going to get into as we progress. But before we do, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about some of the previous health issues that I've talked about on this podcast and kind of update some of my thinking about that issue before we get into the other stuff. So I have talked a lot about the importance of um, gluten intolerance and how it can cause a number of things, especially things like leaky gut. That's something otherwise known as intestinal permeability or increased intestinal permeability. And it basically just means that there are microscopic holes in our uh, intestinal lining, which allows everything that we ingest or parts of everything that we ingest to to go into our bloodstream and thereby cause all kinds of havoc because the immune system sees anything in the bloodstream like that, whether it's food particles, medicine particles, whatever, it sees it as it sees it as an enemy and thereby tries to attack it, eventually causing an overtaxation of the immune system and um, ultimately leads to uh, autoimmune diseases. So, but I've often kind of seen leaky gut as sort of the root problem. If you fix that by eating gluten-free and uh, you know doing certain things to essentially patch up those those holes in our intestines, then it will be uh, fixed. But it's really just a symptom of something greater. And I owe this to a lot of research recently that leads to the conclusion that ultimately it's a result of good and bad bacteria, or rather an overgrowth of bad bacteria in the intestines, which leads to all of this stuff. Which, of course, can also lead to malabsorption of vitamins, because most of our vitamin absorption happens in the intestine. I think it's something like 70%. So if you if it's broken in your intestine, then you're not you're getting malabsorption, which is then causing another host of issues. If you're severely deficient in vitamin B12 or a number of other things that are uh, uh, other vitamins, then you're going to then manifest issues that are essentially a deficiency of vitamins, which your doctor will 
promptly diagnose as something crazy and give you more drugs that will get into your bloodstream and exacerbate symptoms and all kinds of stuff. But um, so one of the main ways to fix leaky gut and a host of other issues is to fix the imbalance of good bacteria and bad bacteria in our guts. And this can also be stuff like an overgrowth of uh, yeast and uh, different things in our guts that are causing those holes, but it can also just be the bad bacteria itself. And I think that fixing this is so important, and there's lots of information about this, but first of all, a good probiotic is good but also it's important to realize one of the things that's that's causing bad bacteria is uh, a lack of digestive enzymes digestive enzymes are caused or uh, occur when we chew food and we have a certain amount of digestive enzymes in our saliva which helps to digest the food but there was a lot of things back in the day that we used to do that really um, helped us digest food, including eating a lot of fermented food that we no longer do, even the foods that used to be fermented no longer uh, go through that process to be produced. Um, and it's really easy and cheap to do this. In fact, one of the easiest and cheapest ways to get a ton of probiotics and a ton of digestive enzymes in the same shot is by um, making your own homemade sauerkraut, which is just cabbage which has been uh, left out for a certain amount of time in a particular process. It's not too difficult, but something you want to look up to learn how to do. And it contains a ton of digestive enzymes and a ton of probiotics. If you do it right, it's going to be more probiotics than anything you could get at the store, which is, um, you know, pretty costly stuff. But uh, I do recommend if you think that you may uh, be experiencing something, uh, an imbalance of bacteria, which I'm pretty sure most of us are unless we have uh, been doing really really well with our diets and stuff like that um, then it's a good way to to start by uh, finding a supplement of, of good probiotics so I just wanna I wanna start off by saying that how important good bacteria and bad bacteria are if it's something that you may be concerned about or may uh, you wanna look into that and just a, a few kind of pointers of things to look for that uh, might indicate that you're having some kind of intestinal issue, whether it be permeability or you know good or, or bad bacteria overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, all of which are essentially the same um, same issue. Is is first of all, when you eat something, are you noticing um, any intestinal problems? Some people call this irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, but it doesn't even have to get to that level. Just uh, you're noticing intestinal problems a lot, um, including, you know, gas and bloating and diarrhea and these kinds of things. But also, do you find yourself clearing your throat or coughing a lot after a meal? Or do you notice your spouse or something doing that after a meal or when they do certain things? These are almost certainly indications that you need to, to deal with this. There are a ton of problems that people are experiencing, whether it's brain fog or all kinds of stuff that's happening as a result of, of this and our immune systems being overtaxed. But I won't dwell on that because I think we're going to hit most of this stuff as we progress into the the main reason I wanted to talk about this. Uh, the, the thing that I want to talk about is regarding some books that I've been reading lately, there are three of them that I would recommend. One is called Grain Brain, Wheat Belly, and Why We Get Fat. These are books that all essentially point to the same issue and you can get the idea that it is um, grain grains are a major major problem 
uh, especially wheat, but all carbohydrates in general are causing some major issues. And one of the most notable uh, books, even though it's a little bit technical, is Grain Brain. It was written by a neurologist who goes through the science of why um, gluten and other things are causing free radicals, which are essentially oxidizing all kinds of, uh, of stuff in a neurological framework. And he goes through all the details about how this is causing things like dementia, ADHD, uh, anxiety, chronic headaches, depression, but goes on to really link this to major, major issues like schizophrenia and Tourette syndrome and how he and his neurological practice have seen you know, countless of these quote-unquote incurable diseases cured when a person uh, uh, essentially is stained from uh, grain products altogether. And one of the telltale signs that he was able to determine is when a person came to his into his office and had Tourette syndrome or had some kind of odd neurological problem that nobody could diagnose, he tested them for gluten sensitivity. And he goes through some. He makes the point that some of these tests about gluten sensitivity are better than others, and doctors aren't always too keen to do this because it's kind of a new thing. But if you can determine through some of these tests that a, per, a, a person is gluten sensitive, then um, then that's a telltale sign that uh, that that's probably the core issue and so when a person would come into his office with one of these things and he tested and they were you know extremely gluten sensitive the person uh, eliminated uh, grains and gluten from their diet and uh, lo and behold these incurable diseases went away grain brain by david uh, perlmutter md is is one of the best books if you have a neurological problem or somebody in your family does uh, that that you have been told or, or don't think that there is a solution to. And that can be a host of things, including, you know, I mentioned a few, but seizures and even autism. He doesn't say that autism necessarily is caused by it, but uh, a lot of the things on the, that are getting diagnosed on the autistic spectrum are um, are listed. And one of the reasons that kids are getting a lot of this stuff is because of a gluten sensitivity problem, oftentimes... A result of things like C-sections and so on, which don't give the child the uh, initial amount of good bacteria, which ultimately causes them to be gluten intolerant. And the gluten intolerance is causing the free radicals that are oxidizing the brain. You know, the 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 implications in, of this are, are pretty darn severe. So I would encourage you to check it out. It is a technical book. There is a lot of uh, scientific papers and stuff and talks a lot about you know, biochemistry, so it's not the easiest read of all the books that I'm going to mention here, but I do want to bring it up first because I think it's it's the one that has the, the greatest uh, uh, impact on people that are dealing with this kind of thing. But I will discuss the next book, Wheat Belly, and it's a pr these are pretty popular books and whatnot, but I, I, before I discuss that, I want to discuss the objection that immediately is raised and one that I had which is how can you know grains and gluten and wheat be bad if it's you know in the bible jesus says you know give us this day our daily bread he's certainly eating bread and people have been eating bread for you know quite a long time how can it be bad and the answer to that is that what we are eating today is nowhere near uh what they were eating back then in fact from the 70s alone wheat has changed almost totally 
and I'll talk a little bit about why that is. But the the kind of wheat the, the ancient people used to eat was a, a pretty simple kind of wheat. And farmers have always kind of crossbred plants to get, you know, better taste or, or higher yields and these kinds of things. And, the, and the, not the genetic modification in the way we think about it today with Monsanto or whatever, but just crossbreeding and things like we did with dogs, you know, this, this with that and see what happens and so on. And that process has been going on and has changed wheat considerably, but really not that big a deal. Um, it, it was a, a completely different wheat before the 70s than it was in the ancient times because of the the slow process of farmers crossbreeding different things for for various reasons so it, it changed a little bit but in the 70s a totally new concept was uh, introduced by a particular guy I can't remember his name he won the Nobel Prize and whatnot and his idea was to increase yields you know to, to make it taste better to make it you know all the things that uh, we want and this doesn't and this isn't genetically modified in the sense that we think of it again it's just something that he did that basically changed what we know of as like the amber waves of grain the tall wheat that you know was amber and float in the wind and stuff doesn't occur anymore now we have uh something that's quite a bit shorter huge yields um and this doesn't really matter if we're talking about organic whole wheat or anything else it, it doesn't work if you say well i only eat organic this and that well it's the same stuff and one one of the things that's different about it, and they've never they never considered the effect on on humans when they did this. Uh, it wasn't even a part of their um, thought process. But it increased. First of all, it's it's a hugely different genetic makeup. But it increased things like the glycemic index. That is how much it affects your uh, insulin. Uh, a huge amount. I think the the wheat from back then versus the wheat we have today is like a 30 time different uh, glycemic index. That is to say that it like for e eating organic whole wheat now is the same kind of glycemic uh, uh, impact that it would be eating a Snickers bar, more than eating a Snickers bar, in fact. So you, if you're going to eat some organic whole wheat, you might as well, as far as your uh, biochemistry is concerned, you might as well be eating a Snickers or uh, a table, you know, a bunch of sugar, literally just straight sugar, is better than eating uh, in terms of your glycemic response. So it it not only in terms of glycemic response, but it's a totally different uh, genetic makeup, as I said. So I wanted to answer that uh, criticism first. But the book Wheat Belly was pretty good in terms of a good read, although having read these uh, three books on the subject, I do think it uh, limits... Uh, it's too limited to just wheat. That's his main sort of focus. But he does a really good job in going through a lot of the science about uh, its impact on diabetes. If you know somebody with diabetes, it is just a travesty what we are doing um, with what we're telling people with diabetes and how we're telling them to eat a lot of quote-unquote healthy whole grains and that concept um, I'll talk a little bit more with the next book, but the whole idea of of how "quote unquote" healthy whole grains came to be a term and and promoted by the government and everything is just in itself a total ridiculous. And even I think Wee Belly actually does believe it's kind of a conspiracy, but uh, nevertheless, I think it's probably one of the uh, least least complete 
books in terms of if you really want to know about this issue. I do think that really you kind of need to read all three of these books because they have different, uh, you got to put them all together to really get a full understanding of it, in my opinion. And I think he is too limited on, on that. But he does show the whole, I mean, and all of them talk about this, the belly fat, what he calls wheat belly, is such an indicative uh, part for, it basically is predicting your death. Um, he shows how it's connected to uh, cancer of, of the colon and um, all kinds of, of various things that he in his practice as a doctor has seen people with just myriad uh, diseases and things that are, are, uh, are cured by people going gluten-free. But he's showing how belly fat is essentially indicative of inflammation, uh, causing a lot. Uh, it's indicative that your organs are being sort of infiltrated with this. Um, your heart, too, is uh, also, but and he's a heart practitioner, if I remember correctly, but your heart is shielded by your rib cage, and so it's not as noticeable. He goes on to point out that this idea of of essentially plaque in the heart and all these things are you know caused by this, and I'll explain this probably a little better how that works when I talk about the next book, which is probably the book that I would recommend um, the most in terms of understanding how it all works, and I think is is more complete. Uh, in in showing what the problem is, because as I mentioned, I think that limiting limiting this just to wheat is kind of not not telling the whole story. Though to his credit, the guy who wrote Wheat Belly is mainly concerned with those things that are caused by gluten sensitivity and the fallout that happens with that. So he's not as as concerned about some of the other health issues that are uh, essentially caused by insulin response, which would include not just wheat and grain products, but sugar and uh, and basically all carbohydrates. <clears throat> so the next book is probably one of the better ones, and I'm I'm going to talk about the the issues with you know going low carb and 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 some of the things that people do wrong and how to do it right here in a minute, but. Um, this next book called Why We Get Fat is was a just a game changer for me because I'm the type of person that needs to know why uh, something is happening in order for me to do it. If a doctor tells me to, you know, for example, put you know hold a cold compress on it for three times a day for an hour, I'm almost certainly not going to do that unless. He also explains to me why. Well, if you do that, it actually will cause this thing to happen and whatever. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'll do that. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe I'm stubborn or whatever. But that's why this book was so important for me is, you know, how to lose weight is was always such a nebulous thing for me. It's like, well, yeah, no, I need to exercise and eat right and whatever. And it just became this sort of uh, burden. And I'm not terribly overweight. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a good 30 pounds overweight, but I'm a pretty tall guy too, six five or something so uh, it's not quite as noticeable but I definitely need to lose some pounds and um, I've already lost I mean I've been on doing this for about a week and a day or two and I've lost 10 pounds so it definitely is significant but it if you know what he's saying I don't think that I don't think that uh, at the very least you'll know what to do when you do decide to lose weight because there's really only one factor. He makes this point brilliantly in the book that as opposed to the common 
uh, view, a view that I would have, if you would ask me before this how I lose weight or anybody lost weight, I would say, well, it's simple. It's a, it's how many calories you take in versus how many calories you burn. And that's the only uh, consideration that you need to know. He calls it calories in, calories out. And how that idea came to be, as logical as it may seem, and that's the reason it's prevalent is because it's logical. And as he shows, it's definitely not because it's been proven in the laboratory. There's, there is no proof of calories in, calories out being true. And that's one of the most brilliant things about this book is showing that this idea that exercise makes you lose weight is completely re refuted in their own studies. I mean, of course, exercise will make you lose weight. He goes, he goes through all that stuff of why are marathon runners and you know all this stuff. He goes through all this stuff, but it's definitely not because of exercise and, and eating less calories. In fact, exercise by its very nature will cause you to require more calories. So you're either going to exercise and always be hungry for the rest of your life uh, because you're not getting the energy that you're required to do the exercise. Anyway, I won't go into all that stuff. I'll save that for if you're interested in why calories in, in and calories out came to be, which is basically one guy very, very recently that had government ties that basically made it the common uh, view, and it was not the earlier view before that. Anyway, um, I'll leave that for the book. But his basic premise is that we get fat because of insulin response. Um, when you eat something that has causes an insulin response, which is basically all carbohydrates, um, I mean, there's good carbohydrates we'll talk about, like in vegetables and stuff like that, but but anything with a high um, uh, insulin response, like grains and sugar and, you know, anything especially that's easily digestible, like uh, sodas and fruit juices and these kinds of things, the metabolic response due to the insulin is to essentially create fat. And if you want to look at it like this, we get fat because we are fat. So when you when you drink or eat something that causes a high insulin response, it's going to essentially create the triglycerides, the fat, which in itself is going to cause you to want to eat more because, well, I need to back up here a little bit. Most of us nowadays are burning carbs for energy. That's not how it used to be. It's not how it's supposed to be. Um, we When we burn carbs for energy, as opposed to burning fat for energy, um, it the body is predisposed to doing that. And so when you burn the carbs after a meal, you will inevitably get hungry about two hours afterwards because um, the body needs more carbs because it's decided to just burn carbs for energy. Uh, and it's storing the rest of the fat as fat as opposed to burning it. So you're basically on this carb-only burning idea as opposed to being what he calls ketogenic, which is um, what we have been doing for all our lives is burning fat for energy. But anyway, or not all our lives, but all of humanity's lives. <laughs> anyway, um, and then as you create more fat due to eating carbs and only burning carbs and essentially storing the fat, then it's causing you to need more because your weight is increasing, so your hunger is increasing to deal with the added weight that you're now carrying, and it's a vicious cycle. You're eating when you're not hungry because your body's pushing the buttons for hunger because it's simply run out of carbs, and uh, it's just a terrible thing. So I recommend that book to understand all that stuff in more detail, but <clears throat> it definitely works. 
Um, and I'll talk a little bit about how to apply this and the benefits of doing it. Um, I've been doing this since I read the first book. It's probably probably been about a week and a half or something like that. And I've lost 10 pounds, uh, feeling better than ever. And it's just something that definitely works. Um, but here's the here's the issue with this. Low carb and going low carb is sometimes misinterpreted as eating just you know meat and and cheese and uh, and vegetables. When I think that when people do it wrong, that is, they're just eating meat all the time and cheese all the time, it's going to cause an, uh, 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 other problems, particularly going back to the beginning, which is gut bacteria. The main sort of criticism of this is that you will ultimately get bad gut bacteria because you're just eating meats and not a lot of the things that actually cause good bacteria, which is vegetables and a diversity of vegetables and I would say primarily vegetables people don't they read these kinds of things and they think oh that'll be easy I'll just eat you know um, you know steak and blue cheese and uh, all day or whatever and <laughs> but but I think that the idea is that it needs to be primarily plant-based and of course I'm gonna recommend mostly organic everything organic meats cheeses and vegetables and a variety of vegetables because we get our enzymes and we get our uh, um, you know the good bacteria and everything else from a good uh, plant-based diverse diet so that's the one thing I would say you have to do is to recognize that it's mostly plant-based uh, though you can eat as much as you want of anything and not gain any weight if you're not uh, causing the insulin uh, uh, spike I mean there is no calorie counting you can eat uh, a whole bunch of everything and you know eggs all day and steak all day and with cheese all day and you're not going to gain weight if there's not an insulin response um i know it sounds counterintuitive but my point is you got to make sure that you are number one drinking a lot of water and number two have a primarily plant-based diet or at least going airing on the side of plants than you would uh, uh of meat and cheeses and stuff i think that's where people go wrong and i also think that to fix this stuff, it's a good thing to go ahead and supplement some probiotics, and um, and to to be doing that to get everything back on track. Especially if you're uh, going to go this route, and you've probably had some issues before that. But the way that I think about this now, and he makes the point in uh, uh, why we get fat, is that after this, I know how to lose weight. There is only one thing that matters with weight loss, and it's not exercise. Uh, it is it is insulin response. And, you know, I haven't exercised. I'm not, I mean, he exercises, he mentioned in the book, exercise is great, especially for um, brain health. And grain brain, he makes a, a big point about exercise. But again, his, he's showing data that shows uh, the different neurological things that happen with exercise and so on. So it's, it's definitely important to exercise. I'm not disparaging exercise. But in terms of losing weight, it's not, it's not the main thing. Then you need to know that. But um, I got to tell you, this is frustrating for me because if you're listening to these books, then you and you know somebody with diabetes, or you know somebody with heart problems, or you know somebody with all the neurological problems, whether it's migraine headaches or uh, ADHD or um, you know Tourette syndrome or all these different things that people are, are uh, have. It's difficult because you know after reading these things that that's at least might be the answer. I mean, there's other reasons that some of these things can happen. Don't get me wrong, and they go through that in all the books. But you can, like, 
you know, there's so many people that I know that I need to tell this to, but I know it's a very difficult thing because the alternative is something that they don't want to hear. They are not going to hear it when I say, you know, you need to cut out the, the sugars and the uh, the grains, especially gluten-containing grains, and it's just not going to go over well. And so it's a difficult thing to talk to people about, but it's frustrating because basically people are dying because of this simple uh, issue. So the other thing I do want to talk about is um, is gluten-free stuff. I've been going gluten-free for a long time, and I have cut out you know sugars and stuff for a long time as well, so it wasn't really that big of a deal for me to do this, though for other people it can be kind of a difficult process, especially early on. Um, to to eliminate sugars and stuff. And I thought I'd mention a few things that do help a little bit, especially if you're eliminating sugar. You know, we know a lot of the, the artificial sweeteners are really bad for you, even worse than any of this stuff. So I would recommend something like um, uh, Stevia. We use uh, something called Stevia in the raw. It's basically packaged like sugar so you can measure it out, you know, if you're making tea or, or other kinds of goods that require sugar you can actually you know measure a cup of it in the recipes and it'll be equal to what it would have been if you were adding sugar but i think stevia is a really good idea not truvia or whatever that's that's not uh natural but stevia is it's a plant they've been using in the i think it's amazon rainforest to sweeten their tea for you know millennia or maybe hundreds of years is probably more accurate but Anyway, so that's something for sugar. Now, a lot of people use, there's a lot of good gluten-free alternatives out there. And if your goal is not really to lose weight, well, you will lose weight if you cut out all the sugars and stuff. It's, you're going to lose weight anyway, even if you uh, choose gluten-free options. But the problem with gluten-free options is, if you're trying to lose weight, is that they substitute the wheat and other gluten-containing foods with things like potato starch, tapioca starch, uh, corn starch, all those things. There, there's only one kind of group of items besides, you know, obvious stuff like sugar and stuff like that um, that have a higher glycemic index than than wheat, and that is potato starch, tapioca starch, and corn starch. So it's causing a massive uh, insulin response if you're if you're eating gluten-free food. So it's not something that's good for losing weight, but it may be good for you to sort of uh, if you're having gluten intolerance issues, which especially the neurological stuff or a lot of the other things that he mentions in wheat belly uh, that are causing, you know, all kinds of stuff. The gluten-free uh, foods are good. I like the uh, Udi's brand. Udi's makes great pizza. If you have that in your supermarket, you're lucky. A lot of them do these days. And things like pasta, uh, rice pastas and the other gluten-free pastas are just terrible. But I do like and can't even tell the difference in uh, quinoa pasta. There's one called, I think, uh, something harvest, and it's a really great uh, uh, gluten-free pasta using quinoa. And again, those things are great if you have or suspect any gluten intolerance issues, but they are not so good if you're dealing with uh, or if you want to lose weight. But um, so it wasn't that difficult for me going you know, just eliminating, basically the only thing I needed to eliminate now was um, gluten-free foods, you know, prepackaged gluten-free foods like the gluten-free pizza and pasta, but in addition, a lot of potatoes 
and uh, <clears throat> corn chips, which is something that I basically was eating quite a lot of, is potato chips and corn chips because, hey, they were gluten-free, you know. So, uh, And, again, that's something you might want to do if it's not a weight loss issue that you're worried about and you want there's a lot of great stuff i mean i look at gluten free now and think wow there's a lot of options in gluten free but if you really want to 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 lose the weight it needs to be all carbs all grains all sugars so and that leaves you quite a lot i mean i love my process now i mean i eat for breakfast now i eat uh, two eggs and maybe a half of an avocado I pack a ton of like pre I pre-make a lot of salad. I diversify a lot of the greens and you know lots of you know can put cheese and dressing and stuff on it no matter what it is. You don't have to worry about the the um the amounts of of salad and stuff you're eating or really even meats, but um anyway, there's a lot of stuff that you can do and with this and of course any kind of meat and ironically it's the the meat that has a lot of fat in it that's best for you, saturated fat included. Now, trans fat, of course, is bad. That's the stuff that, like, Crisco and stuff. But saturated fat, these books, all of which will make the case of saturated fat, is actually good, not bad. Things like coconut oil is really good for you, not bad for you. It doesn't affect your heart health. It doesn't affect your weight. Um, so it's a totally new revolution in in all these things that I want to recommend to you. And... All three of these books are available as audiobooks. If you're an audiophile like me and you'd rather listen than read, then you can get them on Audible. If you want to get one of them for free, you can do so um, by going to my link. I can't remember what it is. Uh, audibletrial.com slash Chris. And if you sign up for a free trial, uh, you can get a, a one of these books for free. It's totally... Uh, uh, risk-free. You can cancel at any time. Keep the uh, keep the audiobook that you got for free. Uh, I did that originally with it. I got my free audiobook and canceled, but I went back because I really liked listening to Audible books. Now I listen to just a ton of Audible books um, all the time, but uh, that's another story. So you can go to audibletrial.com slash chris if you're interested in getting one of these books for free, but again, they are Grain Brain, Wheat Belly, and why we get fat. So check those out if you're interested in learning more, the specifics about these things, which I didn't do so good about uh, telling you about, but at least you get the basic idea. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.